to everyone and welcome to the well here at STSA on his Super Bowl Sunday. Great to see so many people starting the day off right. Hopefully it's here. You're here because you found something good here. I know some people probably here just praying for their teams, hoping that it somehow works out. Either way, we are happy that you are here. We are in part two of a series called New Year, Less Me. Because so many times when we start the new year, it's all about new year, new me, and what are the things that we want to accomplish, and I want to lose weight, and I want to exercise more, and I want this career, and I want this in my house, and it's all about me, 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 me. Well, what we said we're going to do this year is we want to do the opposite. We want to attack the me. We want less of me. Because what we talked about last week for those who are here is that the one thing that since the fall of mankind, since the very beginning when, when the Garden of Eden and the fall took place, the one characteristic that has plagued humanity, the root of every problem, you name a problem on this planet, the root is the same, is self-centeredness and selfishness. You talk about any problem that exists, you talk about racism, you talk about hunger, you talk about wars, you talk about murder, you talk about any problem that exists in this world, and the root of it always comes back to man with a me-centered, self-centered approach to life. James writes it this way in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Asking you a question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. See what he's saying there? You want something, you can't get it, so you kill the person who has it. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Selfishness. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What we saw last week is the world doesn't work when I'm at the center of it. Just in the same way, for those who were here last week, we talked about how when they used to think that the sun revolved around the earth, they used to think the earth was the center of the world and everything revolved around the earth. None of the calculations added up. They couldn't make... They couldn't make theories and predictions and scientific laws because they had the wrong assumption, which is that the earth is stationary and everything moves around the earth. And as long as that's your assumption, then you're not going to be able to make sense of any science or astronomy or anything like that. And I say the same thing in life. As long as the center of life is me, me, selfish, me, I, nothing's going to work out for you in life. You're going to experience problem after problem. Nothing's going to work the way it's supposed to because you were not made to be the center God is the center, and we are revolving around him. And just in case, just in case, just in case you still don't believe me that selfishness is the root of all the problems, just in case you don't believe me that self-centeredness is the plague of our, of our humanity, and especially in this day and age, I want to share with you about an article that I read this past week. That we, you cannot believe that something like this exists. Okay, and you cannot believe what I'm about to tell you, but if I didn't see it with my own eyes, I wouldn't believe it either. The title of the article was A New Answer to an Age-Old Question. A New Answer to an Age-Old Question. And basically what it was, it was a 2017 study done by this British travel agency, and they wanted to ask kids between the age of 7 and 17. 7 and 17. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? You remember when we were kids? You remember when we were kids? What do you want to be? We want to be an astronaut, be a fireman. Okay, I want to be an athlete. You know what I mean? Like, like no, I want to be the president. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I want to be a priest. You know, like, we ain't high. We ain't really high in life, right? 
I got two kids in this age range. And if you've got kids in this age range, you need to be concerned about the answers right here with, with these seven to 17 year olds. The top 10 answers, the top 10 answers. Some of them in the top 10 were normal answers. There were some normal answers, okay? In the bottom five, you had things like lawyer, okay? That was 6% said lawyer. Okay, that's good. Athlete was 12%. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's a good one in there too. Doctor was 13%. These are normal ones. These are on the bottom five. Let me tell you what the top five were. Let's go in ascending order. Number five, all the way to number one. Number five was a filmmaker with 14%. Okay. Number four was an actor with 16%. Tied with that, number three was a singer, musician, 16% as well. Number two, a blogger at 18%. Some of you are like, that's not a job. Just wait. Number one, by a landslide, 34%, a YouTuber. And in case you don't know what a YouTuber is, I didn't know what a YouTuber is either until I asked my kids and they're like, oh yeah, a YouTuber. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Who would want to be a YouTuber? And then they told me about this guy named Ninja and whatever, and like all the crazy YouTubers who make billions and billions of dollars just for making YouTube videos. One third. 34%, one in every three kids between seven and 17 says my dream job, what I want to be when I grow up is a YouTuber. And I told this to my kids and my son said, actually probably what'll be the next survey will be a TikToker, okay? If you know what TikTok is, apparently that's the new form of YouTube. I don't know what that is, but it... And I wondered, I wondered to myself, how much does a YouTuber make? Because when we were kids, we wanted jobs that made money. We were crazy that way. A YouTuber, if you put a video on YouTube and you get a thousand views, which is a lot, a thousand views for your video, you can make $18. Google keeps 45% of that. So you work to get a thousand views, you'll make $9.90. Pre-tax. But you know what? These kids, you tell them that, you know what they would say? They're fine with that. Because did you know, in the same survey, they asked kids, what is your motivation in finding a career? Did you know money was number four on the list? Now, I'm not saying we should be money driven, but I mean, come on, money should be part of the factor. You know what they wanted? Number four thing for a job was money. Number three, creativity. Two, self-expression. And number one, fame. That's our world. That's our world. Do you see the problem? You see the problem that I see? People, culture, society is pushing us in the direction of fame, celebrity, star. How do you become famous? How do you become a celebrity? How do you become a star? How do you become, as we're gonna talk about here today, the GOAT, because this is what all the kids talk about these days. And in case you don't know what the GOAT is, it stands for the greatest of all time. You go to any, any high school or any college campus, you talk about the GOAT, and they'll debate who's the GOAT when it comes to basketball, who's the GOAT when it's the YouTube, who's the GOAT in this video game. Everyone wants to be the GOAT. Our society has pushed us to define our success by our prominence, not our significance. We are focused on looking good versus doing good. And that's a problem because you know how you become the goat? You know how you become famous? You know how you get the most likes? You know how you get the most followers? You know how you get clout? You do it by serving yourself, self-serving, self-promotion. All about me and all about myself. 
But as we're going to see today, serving yourself will never make you great. Serving yourself can make you famous, for sure. It can get you a lot of followers and a lot of likes. But it'll never make you, it'll never make you great in the eyes of God. The path to greatness, according to Jesus, is much different, which we're going to talk about today, and that's this. Here's the summary of today. Here's our theme, our key point. My greatness comes from serving others, not myself. Greatness does not come from serving myself. Greatness comes from serving others. Greatness doesn't come from self-promotion, self-serving, self-centered, self-self-self. Greatness is the exact opposite. It comes when I'm not serving myself, but I'm serving others instead. Let's back up and go back to this topic of goat and being great. The topic of being great is not a new topic. It's natural to all mankind. Ever since the beginning, men and women wanted to be great and wanted to leave a legacy. People had different ideas. Some people, okay, some rulers would erect big, huge towers to their name to show their greatness. Others would acquire riches and treasures from across the world. Others, because they wanted to be great, would conquer nations and conquer peoples to show how great they are and to flex their muscles. Everyone wants to be great in some way. The problem is we don't always know the right path to get there. But did you know, even spiritual people sometimes desire to be great in the wrong way. The disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, one time got in the mix of this whole greatness thing and they got themselves distracted. And what I'm about to share right now is a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable account from scripture. And why it is remarkable? Because it is so unbelievable. It is so, sometimes I read passages like this and people say the New Testament isn't, isn't, isn't authentic and the New Testament is made up. No, it's not. You know why? Because of passages like this, because no one would make this stuff up. Because what I'm gonna tell you is a discussion that disciples had amongst themselves at the most inappropriate time. And nobody who was making this stuff up would include this about themselves unless they were trying to tell the truth. We're gonna pick up the story in Luke chapter 22. I say Luke 22, and you automatically get a time frame of the life of Jesus. When is Luke 22? Beginning, middle, or end? End. Luke has how many chapters? 24. So we're in Luke 22 at the end. Luke 23, I'll do a spoiler alert. Luke 23 is when Jesus dies. Luke 24 is when Jesus rises from the dead. That's the end of the gospel. So we are in Luke 22 right before Jesus dies. And in fact, the passage we're gonna pick up is actually the day before his death, the night of his arrest, a discussion between Jesus and his disciples, the night before his arrest. At this point in time, Jesus had spent three years with these guys. Nobody knew Jesus better. They knew what Jesus liked and didn't like. They knew what upset him and what made him not upset. They knew what things were important to him and what things didn't matter. These guys, if anybody knew Jesus, these guys knew him. They spent three years living with him day in and day out. And on the final night before Jesus is arrested, Jesus is acting weird. Jesus is saying all kinds of weird stuff to them and they don't get it. Jesus is like, the son of man's about to be delivered. They're like, what you talking about delivered? Like we're just having a meal. He's like about to be betrayed, about to be, about to be scourged, about to be, about to be delivered in the hands of sinners and crucified and killed. They're like, Jesus, you're acting so weird. Like what's going on? They don't get it. Then it gets even weirder. Then Jesus has the last supper with them. And they're about, they're hungry, about to have a meal. And Jesus is like, no, this is an ordinary meal. This bread is my body. They're like, what are you talking about? Jesus, we don't get it. Can you draw us a picture? They couldn't get it. This cup is not a regular cup. It's my blood. And then at the very end of the meal, the very end of the meal, Jesus said, my betrayer is at hand at the table with me. Jesus acting weird, weird, weird. 
And then what comes next? Again, so unbelievable. No one would write this unless it was true. No one would make this up. Jesus is saying, guys, this is my last meal. I'm out of here. I'm about to die. It's about to be the worst day in the history of all mankind. The next verse. Okay, now just, just I know, humoring me right here. Just so you believe me, I'm gonna show you verses 20, 19 through 23 when Jesus did the whole last supper that I want you to see the chronological, the next verse in sequence, just so you believe me, so you get the context, all right? Go through this quickly, Luke 22. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, that we know. Likewise, took the cup after supper. This is the cup of the new covenant and my blood, which is shed for you. What is he talking about? Acting weird, cryptic messages. We don't get it. And then he gets even more weird here. He says, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the son of man goes that has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves, which of them who do such a thing? So they're saying like, Jesus is saying, one of you is gonna betray me. And this is the worst night of all. And one of you is gonna come and one of your hands are like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? We don't get it. Next verse. Next verse. Unbelievable. Now, there's a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. Here I am, I'm Father Andy. I stand up here and say, you know what, guys? This is my last Sunday with you. I'm going down, it's gonna be ugly. I'm never gonna see you again, but I love you, wish you all the best. Don't raise his hand. What are you gonna do with your office? Can I have your office after you leave? Who's gonna park in your parking spot? What size robe are you, by the way? That's what these guys are asking. He just said, the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. They're like, Who's, who do you like better, me or him? Who's the best? I try to picture it. I try to picture the scene. I try to picture the disciples each making a case for why they were the greatest. I think St. Peter was naturally, he was always the naturally. I think he stood up and said, guys, this ain't even close. Anybody here, I don't know, walk on water recently? Because I was there in the boat. All you other scaredy cats sat in the boat like suckers and I'm out there and I did the two-step on the waves and you guys were just sat there, okay? So clearly I'm the greatest. And then John, John was always the calm. John said, no, clearly I'm the one Jesus loved the most. In fact, if you look in the gospel, the fourth one, if you just, I don't know who wrote it, but it just happens to say all the time, the one who Jesus loved, the one who Jesus loved. And then James probably stepped in and said, hey, bro, he could call him bro because he was his actual brother. He said, hey, bro, clearly you're the one who wrote that gospel. And by the way, who told you to write in the third person? Like enough is enough with the third person stuff. Like you can just say it like your name. Who writes that way? And I think Bartholomew, little Bartholomew stood up and said, hey, you know what? I think I'm the greatest. They're probably like, quiet, Bartholomew. Man, people don't even know your name. People can hear the word Bart. They're gonna think of Bart Simpson before they think of you, man. And there they are having this discussion. And Jesus is, is, is about to die. and about to be betrayed. And they're talking about who's the greatest. And he said to them, Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. Don't you get it? You're not like them. We're not like the world. Not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, he who is the goat among you, let him be as the younger. For, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? It is, not, is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. What he's saying is, guys, we're not like the world. We don't, we don't do greatest by power. We don't do greatest by celebrity, by fame, 
by followers, by likes. That's not how we do greatness. Our greatness is different. I've been with you for three years. Did I ever sit at the head of the table and say, serve me? Did I tell you to wash my feet? I mean, didn't, didn't you see that I'm the greatest and I'm the one who got down on my hands and knees just moments ago and washed your feet? And I give myself for you? Guys, who, where did this come from? And you know the worst part of it? This actually isn't even the first time that they had this discussion. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus said it succinctly to them. This was the second or third time they had this discussion about greatness. And Jesus says, plain and clear, the goat who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Said another way, my greatness is connected to my serving. I want to be great. I want to be the greatest than serve. I want to be greater than her. I want to be greater than him and serve more than him, serve more than her. My greatness isn't come from people serving me. My greatness comes from me serving others. Now, for those who are raised in the Orthodox Church, okay, some of you, for those who are raised, it could be any church, not necessarily Orthodox Church, but the word servant had a unique meaning. Okay, you may notice we don't use the word servant around here. I like the word volunteer better than servant. And you may say, why? We like the word servant. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One simple, which I'll say quickly, and the other one take a little more time. The word servant at its root means a slave, means somebody who does what they're told. And what I discovered is the word servant in our churches lost its meaning. Servant went from someone who was there to work. Servant became a status symbol. Back up, servant coming through. Out the way, you can't talk to me that way. I'm a servant. And you know, if you were raised in this kind of environment, maybe, you know, servants had like secret meetings. Okay, like the servant, okay. They had like a secret handshake that you had to know the secret handshake. They had like a hierarchy. There's positions. There was like servant. Then there was head servant. And then the ever illustrious glamorous position of coordinator servant. Okay, that's like really high up on the, on the chart. So basically I said, I won't get rid of the word servant because I think we lost its meaning. Okay, we, made, meant to, we used it in the exact opposite way that it was meant to be. It meant to be a this, we made it a this. We used the word volunteer. I think volunteer is a little bit clear. And the other reason, kind of secondary to that, is being a servant. If I stack chairs at church, I pour coffee, I teach Sunday school, does that make me a servant? And I'll tell you the inverse. If I don't do those things, does that mean I'm not a servant? I see, the way I see it is servant is something bigger. Servant has nothing to do with those things. You can volunteer and have no servant heart. And you may not be able to volunteer because your time and your life commitments, but that doesn't mean you're not a servant. I want to talk about what it means to really serve because it is connected to my greatness. I want to talk about three characteristics of serving. We'll go through these semi-quickly. I'll spend a little more time on the first one, but then we'll go through the other two kind of quicker. The first one is serving. As I just said, isn't something we do, it's who we are. Servant isn't something we do. It's not an action. It's not a task. It's not a job. Servant isn't something we do. Servant is who we are. Let me give you an example. I tried to name an example to illustrate this. And the best example I could think of is the negative of it, the exact opposite of what it means to have a servant mindset. Back when I was in college, many, 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 many years ago, okay, the last century, I was in college in the last century, not even this century, okay, the last century. I lived in a house during my junior and senior year, okay, with eight guys, okay, 
We were eight guys in this one little house. Yeah, and the people are like, yeah. It, it, it was rough, okay? It was rough. It was rough because I'm, we were disgusting, okay? There's no other way around. We, we were absolutely disgusting, okay? And our house was a pigsty, and it was filthy, and, 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 and you just didn't want your skin to touch anything, okay? And especially in the kitchen or the bathroom, which made it, but that's how we did it. We were the opposite of people who served one another. We were people who cared only about ourselves. We were people who only served ourselves, and we never did anything for anybody else. Two examples. First example was the trash can. We had a trash can. You know if you put a trash can right here, okay, in the middle of the room, it gets to the top, and then you got to take it out. We came up with a strategy. If we put that sucker against the wall, we could pile up on the wall. Then you put that bad boy in a corner, you got two walls that you can pile up on. So I'm telling you, that trash can may have been this high. We had that trash pile, heap, okay? And everyone knew that we had a rule that whoever put the piece of trash that made it topple over had to take it all out. So I'm telling you, it got to about here and it was like Jenga, like you didn't want to like, you just, and if you just walked by and it fell, it's, it's on you. And I'm telling you, truth, I'm telling you the truth. What we would do, I'm not proud of this, but this is what we did, is if you had trash, but then you know it might topple, you put that trash in your room and saved it until somebody else removed it. And we kept the trash. Okay, we all had our own little trash piles. And as soon as somebody took it out, we just filled it up right away. Because no one wanted to be around with the trash. What's worse than the trash in that place was the kitchen sink. I'm telling you, I lived in the house for two years. I don't know what the bottom of the sink looked like. I honestly don't know. It could have been purple. It could have been green. There could have been animals. I don't know what the bottom looked like. Because our system was the opposite of a normal system. The system was the sink was where we kept the dishes. <laughs> you kept them in there dirty. You wanted one. You washed it. You used it. You put it back dirty. That was the way we did it, okay? <laughs> it's disgusting. It is disgusting. We were college guys. None of us had girlfriends, in case you're wondering, too, by the way, okay? Clearly. That's the way the sink was. I, because I'm a smart guy, I came up with a workaround. Okay, I'm smart. I'm clever. I didn't want to play this game because that was disgusting. Because you know they're not really cleaning those things. I went home one time for break, and I took from my house one plate, one knife, one fork, one spoon, one cup. And I kept those in my room. I would use them, wash them in the bathroom, take them back to my room. So I never had to go to that sink. But you didn't have to go to the sink for the pots and pans, which that was... Anyway, one time, true story, one time, one of the moms came, saw this situation, and couldn't take it. She washed all the dishes. And we agreed, we made a pact. Okay, guys, she kind of made us. No more of this. From now on, like we're starting at zero, so from now on, you use a dish, you wash a dish, you put it back in those cabinet things. We all agreed. And then one day, one of my roommates... His name is Matt. Matt was kind of lazy, and Matt didn't want to do his dish, so he made a deal with Eric. <laughs> and the deal was, <laughs> you wash my dish right now, because like Eric was going to go wash his own dish. You wash mine, I'll wash yours tomorrow. Okay, I don't know if there was like a, like a two-for-one. I don't know what there was, but there was some kind of negotiation and deal. We were all witnesses to the Anyway, they made the deal. Next day, Matt didn't do it. And Matt put his own dish again. And the next day, Matt, same thing. So Matt had like two or three, and he was kind of one in the hole. So what happened next? 
I didn't participate in it, but I didn't watch it. They took all the dirty dishes, all the dirty dishes from the sink and the pots and pans. And while Matt was at class, they put it in his bed under the sheets. <laughs> he was furious when he came home. And all I said was, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. My point in telling you that story, in order also to, to give myself a laugh, number one, okay, to recall the good old days, okay, <laughs> but also to show you the opposite of a serving others mentality, because that was a mentality which was all about me, and if I could avoid a job, I did a job. Now, let's get a little more serious right here. Some of us were never around when a job needs to be done. Somehow, we always magically were never around when the dishwasher needs to be emptied. We find a way to not be there when the dishwasher needs to be emptied. Somehow, somebody spills on the floor, and we never happen to see it. We always find a way to, oh, I didn't notice. Somehow, we're never around when that diaper needs to be changed. Somehow, we magically disappear. Some of us, maybe not at home, maybe at work. Maybe you work in a place where I tell you should serve others at work, and you say, Phew. Fat chance, Father Anthony, you don't know how it is in our work environment. Nobody helps anybody. Nobody looks out for anybody, man. It is dog-eat-dog world. You are trying to step on the other person. You cannot show weakness and help the other person. No, 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 that's not the way it is around here. Other people, can I be honest? Some people I know, I know the nicest people. Nicest people. Work, they're nice. Home, they're nice. Church, they're nice. Then they go to Starbucks, and they pay $4.99 for a drink. And may God help that barista if he messed up their name. Or may God help the waiter if the soup was cold. Or may God help that mechanic, okay, if he doesn't, he doesn't say what, we feel like, you know what, we pay to serve for a service, I mean, we're going to squeeze every penny out of that person. Christianity, service, serving others is not something we do. It's not a job description. Man, it's who we are. It's a mindset. It's at home. It's at work. It's at the Starbucks. It's when we play pickup basketball. It's when we're outside playing with our kids. It's when we walk in after a long day at work. It's when the diaper needs to be changed, when the trash needs to be taken out. It's when your neighbor, his car is stuck in the snow. Man, serving others is not something we do. We don't wait for somebody to commission us and say, this is your job to do this. We don't wait for an inspiration that God revealed to me how you want me to serve. No, we don't do that. We are servants everywhere we go. We see a need, we meet it. We see job that needs to get done, we do it. St. Paul says it this way in Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially those who are the household of faith. I say it this way. We have, okay, here in the church, we talk about volunteering. And you, as a member of the church, you should volunteer in your church. We have all kinds of volunteer opportunities. Actually, today, after the well, room 118, we have volunteer orientation. Anyone who wants to volunteer, Everyone should volunteer, and I believe that you should have a consistent volunteer opportunity that you do on a regular basis. Should be regular, should be consistent, should be everybody. This church is our house, we all pitch in. But in addition, not instead, in addition, you need to every day realize that I'm a servant, and I need to pray and say, God, reveal to me opportunities to be great. Reveal to me opportunities where I can be the greatest, and the way you be greatest, by looking for opportunities to serve others to find a need and meet it, to see a job and do it. That's number one, servant. 
It's a mindset, not an action. It's who we are, not what we do. Number two, serving others requires just one ability, availability. Sometimes we get hung up on, well, I can't preach. Uh, I can't sing. I don't know the Bible. I hate kids. Man, that's okay. Everyone hates kids. Like, everyone hates those kids too. I mean, that's fine. The criteria for being a servant and serving one another is one thing, is being willing to be interrupted, is being willing to be available when it's not convenient in your day-to-day schedule. Look at Jesus. For those who were here last year, we did a series called Blind Faith. If you remember, we went through the Gospel of John, went through the miracles of the Gospel of John. Go through the miracles of Jesus, and what you will find is almost every one of them, not all, but almost every one, was not a planned event. Obviously, everything is planned by God because he's God. But it was not a planned, scheduled event. What it was was Jesus doing something and then somebody interrupting him and say, hey, Jesus, I need help. And you'll see with Jesus, it wasn't so much that he planned to do this or planned to do that, but is that he had a plan and someone said, hey, we need your help. And Jesus was willing to stop. Let's go through the miracles. Who remembers what the first miracle was in the Gospel of John, the first miracle that Jesus did? What else? Wedding of Cana Galilee, turned water into wine. What happened there? Was Jesus going on a service trip? Was Jesus commissioned on a mission trip? Jesus was at a wedding. He's hanging out, having a good time. And then all of a sudden, Jesus' mother comes and says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And his answer was, not my problem. I'm at a wedding. I'm just hanging out, catching up with disciples. Long time no see, yeah, photo booths, like whatever it was, who knows? And Jesus' mother told him, hey, Jesus, they need you. Jesus said, all right, let's go. After that, you remember, Jesus would go walk back and forth from Cana, from Galilee to Jerusalem to go back and forth. And one time he was walking after a long trip and he's walking and he's walking. And all of a sudden, some guy starts screaming. It is in John chapter four. Remember the second miracle is the healing of the nobleman's son. Some guy starts screaming, hey, I need Jesus. Anyone know what Jesus is? We need Jesus. We need him and we need Jesus. And Jesus is like, I hey, man, I've been on a long trip. What do you need? And send me an email. What? No, but Jesus, okay, what do you need, sir? And my son, all right, call the doctor. No, Jesus, I tried the doctor. Okay, try, you know, give it a couple. Uh, Jesus, we need you. Okay, go your way, your son lives. After that, John 6, you remember. When Jesus turned the, the five loaves and two fish and fed the multitudes. Jesus had been with a group of people all day, preaching, casting out demons, healing the sick all day. Man, I'm telling you, that's tiring work. Man, I preach one sermon up here and you come to me afterwards, ask me to bless your car and I'm kind of frustrated with you. Okay, no, I'm just joking, just joking. Okay. Jesus is out there all day. And man, he's serving and he is ministering and he is healing and he is preaching and he's going. And they come to him at the end of the day and say, Jesus, the people are hungry. Jesus says, I know, so am I. Tell them next time they should learn a lesson to pack a lunch on the way home. Is that what Jesus said? He said, no, no, no. Actually, that's what the disciples said. Jesus, they're hungry. Get rid of them so we can serve ourselves. He said, no, you don't get this. To be great, to be my disciple, to be my son, my daughter, be great. You feed them. You serve them. Because greatness isn't power, status, or fame. Greatness is serving and being willing to be interrupted when it's not convenient. I love the way 
King Solomon says it in Proverbs 3, verse 27 and 28. He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is, it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it to you when you have it with you. See what he's saying right there? What he's saying is being a servant isn't something you pencil into your schedule. Isn't something that you say, okay, I'm gonna be a servant on Tuesday from four to 4.15. It's not something, you know what? I wish it was. I wish it was that way. I wish, you know what? I could tell my kids, look, I wish my kids only needed to talk to me when I was done my work. And I wish I could tell them, you know what? Now's not a good time because I got work to do, but that's not how servant is. You talk when the kids need to talk. I wish that people would only go to the hospital in groups. So I wouldn't have to visit on a Monday and then on a Wednesday and then on a Friday. Can't just people just get sick at the same time? Like that's the way I wish it was. Schedule all the sicknesses only on Wednesdays. Every Wednesday I'll come visit all the sick. But that's not how it works. Wouldn't it be great if we could just tell our friends, just don't break up with him or don't get fired or don't have that catastrophe in your family. Now's not a good time for me. So please try to schedule those major life events when I have more free time to talk. That would be great. Life would be much more convenient. But that's not life. Being a servant is 24-7. It's not when I'm available. It's when I'm needed. And that's what Jesus, that's the way Jesus did it. So, number one, servant. Servant others. It's not what we do. It's who we are. There's no, there's no one who has to commission you everywhere we go. Number two, only ability needed is availability. Being willing for someone to interrupt you when it's not convenient. And then the third, serving others is rewarding both intrinsically and extrinsically, both inwardly and outwardly. Here today, as well as down the road in eternity. Oftentimes we focus on the extrinsic reward, that God will reward me and I'll have a great reward in heaven, which is 100% true, I'll kind of talk about that in a second. What I want to talk about first is the intrinsic, because we don't often realize that, that when I serve, when I serve others, I'm blessing my own self, not the other person. You know why? Because I told you last week, and I said it at the beginning, each of us has this thing inside of us called selfishness and self-centeredness. And I'm telling you, as long as that's in your life, and as long as your life revolves around you, your life won't work. Everything will be broken as much as it's about you. So what serving others does, it is the antidote to that self-centeredness. Just in the same way that when we tithe and we give, it is the antidote to materialism. We all have this materialistic streak. When we give, it fights, it combats materialism. When we fast, it combats gluttony. When we serve others, it combats the number one plague that, will pro that, that, that is inside of us which is selfishness and self-centeredness. And every time we serve others, it's going against it. It's going against it. It's going against it. When you serve another person, what you are saying, without even realizing you're saying, you're saying, I am not going to let selfishness ruin my life. I'm not going to be ruled by my own desires and lusts. I want to be great, not in the eyes of this world, but in the eyes of God Almighty. And every time you serve, you are attacking that selfishness how? What's the intrinsic reward? Well, I'll tell you what. I read this nice quote the other day, and it explains it. It says, 
the one who only serves himself will eventually find himself all by himself. Say that one again. The one who only serves himself or herself will eventually find himself all by himself. And you know this. Selfishness pushes people away. Self-centeredness pushes people away, especially the people that are closest to you, or at least that you hope would be closest to you, whereas serving others does the exact opposite. It draws them closer to you. Who here doesn't like to be around a person who's always serving? Anyone here not like to be around helpful people? Anyone not like to be around encouraging people? Anyone not like to be around people who are always offering assistance, offering compliments, offering service? Like, does anyone like, say, no, I like the discourager. Give me the critic. That's why I want to be my best friend, that negative person. No, it is natural for us to be drawn to people who are always serving. Serving heart, a servant, is who? You're a boss. That's who people want to work for. That's the kind of boss that your employees are looking for, is someone who's always serving. And then the flip, if you have a boss, that's what your boss is looking for in you. Those are the employees that bosses love to hire and love to transfer into their group and love to promote the people who are always serving others. Marriage, serving others, that's the kind of spouse that if you're single, that you're looking for, that if you're married, hopefully you have. If you have children, that's what you want your child to marry. You want your son or your daughter to marry someone who is always serving and always giving, not the opposite. Parents. Parents. Parents who are serving are parents who kids want to come home to when they no longer have to. And kids who are serving are the parents that kids want to come home when they no longer have to have them at their home. Marriages. These are the marriages that work. You want to know marriages that work and marriages that don't work? comes down to selfishness. Marriages that work are marriages that say, you know what? He's not perfect. He's got some bad habits. He's not the cleanest guy in the world. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, it's never about him. It's always about us. I know that. I know it's not selfish. He's got weaknesses. He's got weaknesses. Those weaknesses cause problems sometimes. But I know in the end, that I look at my man, and I know my man will never put himself above us. Inverse. It's the marriage where the husband can say, she's not perfect. I wish she cooked more. I wish she spent less. I wish she didn't run into the garage with the car as much. But I mean, hey, no one's perfect. But I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's never about her. It's always about us. That she will serve me, wash my feet, and it is never, I need this, and I need this, because it's never about her. It's always about us. He's a servant heart. And I'm telling you, no marriage is perfect. But the marriages that work are not the ones where there's no fights, not the ones where there's no problems, not where he's perfect or she's perfect. But the ones that work are the ones where we say, it's not about selfish. That when I say this, it's not about this is what I want and I don't care what you want and you do what you, it's not about me. It's always about us. People who serve, pull people, draw people close to them. And you know what I discovered as I was looking through the scriptures? You know who likes to be around servants? 
You know who likes to have, when you are a serving others kind of a person, people will be drawn to you. Like I said, your boss want to hire you. People want to marry you. And you know who else wants to be around you? It's God himself. Because look what Jesus said in John 12, verse 26. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Let him be around me. I want him next to me. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. That gets us to the second piece. Serving others is rewarding intrinsically, but extrinsically. Because what Jesus says, if you have that servant heart, man, where I am, you're going to be. And wherever you are, you trust that the father himself will honor you and say, you are the greatest. You are the goat. And speaking of goats, Jesus one time gave a parable about goats, but he used goats in a little bit different way, goats in kind of a negative way. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus spoke about one time at the end, the father's going to separate the sheep and the goats and hear goats is a bad way. And what's going to be the criteria? How do you know the goats versus the sheep? Jesus says this, you're going to hear, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This reward. And where's this reward going to come from? For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Notice what he's saying. He didn't say, you'll receive a great reward because you prayed more than anybody else. Man, nobody fasted the way you fasted. Man, nobody went to church as early as you, sat in that chair like you. Man, nobody warmed that seat the way you kept that seat warm. He's saying the greatest, inherit the kingdom, because you served. You're willing to serve others, willing to be interrupted, willing to feed the hungry, willing to thirst, drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the sick. You serve. You are the greatest. The people are going to respond. Hey, what are you talking about, Jesus? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? He's going to say it very easy. Matthew 25, 40. Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, man, you did it to me. You did it to me. Let me break that down. What some of us might hear one day. Some of us might hear when we get up there. Jesus is saying, I was sad. And I was, felt rejected. And I was alone. And you put down your phone to listen to me. Say, Jesus, what are you talking about? Say, what you did for the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Some might hear, man, I was broke. And I was down on my luck. Man, I needed a break. You helped me. You helped me with my resume. Helped me find a job. Say, Jesus, when? You did it to the least of these. You did it to me. Some would say, I came to your church. I was a visitor in your church, and man, I'll be honest, I was scared to death when I walked into that place. There was a guy up on the stage, and he was dressed in a funny long dress, and he had a beard. And I was scared to death. And you went out of your way. Come introduce yourself. I was sitting all by myself. I was scared. I didn't know how I was going to be received. You left your circle of friends. You didn't have to do that. You didn't know me. You made me feel welcome. Say, Jesus, when? Least of these. One more. 
someone may hear. I was on my first day as, as, as a waiter, my first day as a barista, my first day at Starbucks. I killed your order. I crushed it. I messed it up. I latteed what I should have frappeed or whatever it may be. I put sugar in the cream and cream and the sugar and it was the hot and the cold. I don't know that kinds of stuff. And I spelled your name upside. I messed you up. You showed so much grace. You were so kind. You picked me up. Man, the guy before you blasted me. And you told me it's okay. Jesus, when? What you did to the least of these, you did it to me. Because it's by serving others. We actually serve Christ himself. That's why service, my greatness, is connected to my serving others. When I serve others, but I'm actually serving Christ himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that's how you be the GOAT. In the world, you get ahead by power, by fame, by celebrity. You make yourself strong, that's how you be great. But in the kingdom, you be great, but you be like the great one himself, who is always serving others, always put himself under others. You never be that guy, you never be that guy that runs from the job that needs to be done. You never be the guy that, like I said, disappears when it's time for work to be done. You be the guy that somehow magically appears, that whenever there's work to be done, whenever there's a job that needs to get done, whenever there's someone who could use a break, you magically appear. And you say, hey, can I give you a hand? Can I help you out with that? And then you will. You do that. You will hear something else Jesus said in that same chapter in Matthew 25. You will hear a different voice when you get up to heaven. That is this, which is, if you want to know my personal prayers, often you hear me, my, my prayer is this, that I would hear these words when I get up there. Matthew 25, 21. You will hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. Everything we do in life is to get to that point. We hear those words. The way to get there, to be the goat, the greatest of all time, not by serving ourselves, by serving one another. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that you've given us the path to greatness, that you not only told us about it, but you, you, you walked the walk. When you came down to this earth, Lord, and you served and served and served, and then you said, if I, your Master and Lord, have served and have washed feet, then how much more should we ought to do that? We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us that servant mindset, that servant heart in everything we do. And we can only imagine, Lord, what a servant mindset would do in our homes, how it would transform the house and turn things upside down, what that servant heart could do in our offices and in our workplaces and our social circles and our community. Lord, we oftentimes want so many things to change, but we're not willing to be the agents of those change. But I pray that today, Lord, you instill in us a true servant's heart that is willing to go out there and serve one another the way you taught us, and the way you set an example for us. We ask these things in the name of your Son, prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.